Welcome to the B Major Podcast with Noah Aronson. I am Noah Aronson. I'm a recording artist, composer, performer, and intentional mover. I create music and interactive experiences to activate creativity in the mind and body. This podcast is a playground for you to explore the intersection of wellness and creativity. My process involves activating the voice by dropping into the body. I developed this method to help me battle depression and anxiety, and now I'm excited to share with you how creativity can be a powerful modality to add to other wellness and healing practices you may have. I call it the Revoice Method, and all of the music you'll hear on this podcast will be a result of this creative practice. Each week, you'll hear interviews with practitioners working in the wellness and creativity space, be guided through meditations, and will be invited into my revoice method. It is my belief that we are all quote-unquote creatives, and when we can activate our creativity authentically, we can all be happier, healthier, be more joyful, we can all be major. Hello, B Major friends, and welcome back to the B Major podcast. So today I will be interviewing G.S. Youngblood, who wrote a book called The Masculine in Relationship. I talk a lot about how God is not up in space, but that God is space. The space between breaths, the space between notes, the space between lovers. When we can learn to tune into what is happening in that space in between ourselves and our partners and how that is affecting us internally, we can be more intentional with what we are putting back into that space. We are partners with the creative spirit and we must have the courage to go within and learn how we are showing up and what we are putting back out into the world. My interview today with G.S. Youngblood is all about the interplay between the masculine and feminine energies that exist in relationship dynamics. This is not necessarily a conversation about gender, but about the dynamic interplay of the masculine and feminine within all of us and how they interact with one another in partnership. G.S. does focus primarily on men's work and helping men access their masculinity in a more authentic way. And still, his work can be applied to all genders and sexual orientations. The pathway to accessing authentic communication with our partners is the very same pathway for accessing our authentic creative expression. It all starts with dropping into the body and listening for what arises. So let's start, as we often do, with a moment of intentional breathing, finding a place where you can be comfortable and settled and just listening in. Start to notice the sounds around you in the space that you're in without judgment. You can start naming the sounds as they arise in the space. And begin to tune into your breath. As we enter into a conversation about relationship and partnership, 
we realize that when we're in relationship, we're not alone anymore. How beautiful is that? We get a reprieve from a period of loneliness and isolation, the constant reassuring touch from our partner. can be a powerful reminder of the feeling of being loved and the challenge of not being alone anymore means that for many of us who've become comfortable living alone enjoying our self-sufficiency it can be challenging to invite someone into that dynamic with ourselves So how can we make space for our partner without letting go of our self-care? How can we give love freely to our partner without forgetting how to give to ourselves? Yes, you are not alone anymore, but remember, you were never truly alone. You've always been held. You've always been supported by a divine and loving presence. You were brought into this world through divine creativity and you're being sustained by it. When the two of you can share in that awareness, when you are both recognizing that you are not one and you are not two, that there always is a third dynamic present in partnership. That is when the real creative sparks of love begin to ignite. Starting to bring awareness back into the space. Taking one final deep cleansing breath. Wiggling the fingers, moving the body a bit bringing awareness back into the body and preparing ourselves for our interview with G.S. Youngblood. So I am here with G.S. Youngblood. His book is called The Masculine in Relationship, A Blueprint for Inspiring the Trust lust and devotion of a strong woman it is a powerful title and it is a powerful book uh, i recommend it to anybody uh, who is uh, interested in learning more about the different ways that the masculine and feminine energies within us and with also the dynamics within a relationship uh, play out and uh, how we can grow and learn a bit more about ourselves and and serve our partners better uh, so gs uh, i've been so impressed with you and your work and also how it honors the work of uh, others who came before um, the trailblazers. Um, I just, just naming a few, I just know that the work of David Data and I know the work of John Wineland and Esther Perel. And, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of people in this, in this space uh, and, uh, and you mentioned them as mentors and teachers. And I'm wondering, uh, so where does your work fit into this conversation? Well, I, <laughs> I hesitate to put my work in the same conversation as David Data. You know, he's the luminary in the field, but I, I will answer the question. Um, and I'll answer it by way of what people have told me is, you know, David's work is visionary. And, 
and it can be difficult for some guys to really know how to operationalize. And so as somebody who has been through it in my own life, you know, everything I write about in the book, most of it comes from my personal experience or maybe my client's experience. So I really have a direct experience of most of what's there. I've lived through it. I've learned what works and what doesn't. So my book is very practical. It's very operationalizable. And I, I say that because I'm using the words of men that talk to me. They're like, ah, I finally something I can put into use uh, to make actual changes right away in my life. And so I, 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 I learned so much from David. I learned so much from John. And I try to have a voice that's very practical, um, real life. Like, what's it actually like to be in front of your woman when she's fired up? Um, you know, spirituality can help you, but you often need something even more, even beyond that operationalizable. And so, you know, I'd say that's one thing that distinguishes my, my work from others. Yeah, absolutely. In that moment of conflict, like that's the moment. Obviously, yeah. all the practice and the discipline that goes around it, but, you know, you're really tested right in that moment. Uh, and it's like, so what are some of the practices that we can do outside of the, uh, you know, the moment of conflict that can help prepare us better so that we can notice and maybe make a different choice? Well, there's, there's two paths to changing one's behavior. There's the cognitive and then there's a the somatic or embodied. And, you know, the cognitive is the understanding of how the feminine works. It's the understanding of, of I, I hesitate to use the word techniques, but I'll just use it lightly, you know actual things that you can try. Like for instance, if, you're, if your woman's upset, you know, humor is one way to address that. It's also a way to deflect, but it, it can be a very constructive way. Uh, empathy is a way, curiosity is a way. So me teaching cognitive knowledge around that can be very helpful. You can use your brain to pull you out of a situation where you kind of, you've blown your fuses. Um, that's not enough though. That's why book, reading books is not enough by itself. Uh, you have to go the route of embodiment. And this is something that I recommend to absolutely every man that'll, that I talk to. Um, in terms of building more of your masculine core, you've got to have a daily embodiment practice. And, you know, embodiment practice is something that will, if done consistently and well, it will settle your nervous system in a way that's, that's separate from any particular circumstances so that when you get into a situation that you you know, weren't able to predict was going to flare up, you know, your nervous system will be just a little bit more settled. Uh, and then you can start to operate, uh, operate out of choice and intention rather than reactivity. So that's the, that's the other path to uh, ways that men can prepare themselves for the fires of, of relationship. Yeah, I'm so glad that you're mentioning that because uh, so many of the people that I am speaking to on this podcast are uh, different wellness practitioners and people in the space uh, of wellness. And uh, I've been curious about your embodiment practice that you spoke about earlier. Uh, and you know, what are some specific tangible practices that uh, someone can, can use to activate the masculine or activate the feminine energies within us? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so I, I am just about to release an online course for this very topic, uh, an embodiment course that really takes you into the, into the, the why and, the, and, and not just the how or what, it's, it's like the why do we do these things? Uh, what's underneath some of the teachings that are out there around embodiment and try to get people to really understand. And it is a lot about learning to bring your attention away from the mind and turn it towards physical sensation. So all of the practices in the book are really about redirecting your attention into the physical. Um, one of the things that I say is that 
meditation is great, but it's also really hard for most people. Most people get bored, quite frankly. And the part of the challenge of meditation is that it's the mind governing the mind. And that always doesn't work. And so with, with embodiment, you're really turning your attention towards the physical and then allowing that to crowd out the cognitive naturally. And it happens very naturally. And so I've seen men that have tried to meditate for years unsuccessfully um, actually have a lot of success with embodiment. Yeah. And um, I'll give you the simplest of practices. I mean, this is, this is oversimplified, but I just wanted to keep it simple for this, for this question. You know, box breathing is a great embodiment exercise. And uh, so box breathing is where you breathe in for, say, six seconds. You hold for six seconds. Then you exhale for six seconds. And you hold for six seconds. And you just continue that, that so-called box. The reason that's a great embodiment exercise is it requires so much intentionality. Like to breathe on that pace is not natural. So you actually have to choose to breathe. And so you're bringing a lot of intention uh, into the, uh, into the practice. And then, as I said before, you learn to turn your attention towards the physical sensations of that breath, feeling it rush down the windpipe, feeling the belly expand. And, and in, in what I teach, I'm teaching men to really feel those sensations. Don't just think about them, but actually feel them. And, and so the box breathing, even though it's the simplest of exercises, brings both intention and attention, which are the two primary components of the embodiment that, that I teach. And so that's a framework that I've created, intention, attention, to really help you understand how to, how to uh, get more out of your embodiment practices. And like I said, I go much deeper to it in the, in the, the course, which is all, all, all wrapped around this concept of intention and attention. Yeah, I, I can't wait to check that out and learn more. Uh, I know for me, the journey of just learning about what am I feeling? Like I, I, I've gotten so good at numbing, uh, at least historically gotten so good at, at numbing the feelings that when someone says, what are you feeling right now? I didn't even have nowhere to begin. I didn't know where yeah. to look for that. And I, yeah. I found that movement uh, meditation, movement practices, embodied practices, just as opposed to kind of thinking cognitively of what I'm feeling. It's like, okay, I'm feeling a tightness in my throat right now, or I'm yeah. a little bit of a pit in my stomach. And then that kind of can lead to uh, more expression of that thing. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, you're training yourself to feel. And, you know, men, we have such, <laughs> we have such uh, stubborn nervous systems. You know, we don't want to feel. We naturally don't want to feel. It's just how we're built. And you can train yourself out of it using, using a daily practice. It's interesting you're saying that because I find myself to be a masculine male with access to powerful feminine energy within me. Like, and, and in my reading of your work and in some of the others in this field, um, I find it hard to find writing about men who are like me with, with a powerful feminine side. And I wonder what advice you have for men who, uh, who feel are um, have a masculine core, but also want to honor that femininity within us as well. Mm -hmm. And let's clarify our language here. When you say the femininity, I think what you're saying is the ability to feel, to have, uh, you, you can navigate your emotional world. Is that what you're referring to? I think um, in terms of, um, yeah, the, the sensitivity to feeling. Yeah. I think in terms of um, appreciation of the arts. Uh, and uh, even with me, uh, I danced for a long time. And so just the access to um, flowing movements uh, yeah. 
you know, jagged movements, um, karate versus ballet, um, and, and like just appreciation for the fluidity of, uh, of the feminine. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel like I want, I want to be able to also honor that, uh, and want, and, and really want to be striking a balance there. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I so hesitate to call those feminine qualities. And the reason I say that is just because then guys are like, Whoa, I don't, no, 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 that's not me. I, look, as a man, usually I talk about energies. So I'm just going to talk about gender right now. As a man, and and uh, this could apply to a masculine woman who, who identifies as such, so, but let me just talk about me. As a man, I feel it's powerful to be able to feel my own emotions, to feel into my woman's emotions, to be cognizant of the connection between us. And some people might call those feminine qualities. To me, those are absolutely powerful masculine qualities. So I say, let's not assign it to either bucket. Um, those are powerful masculine qualities. And here's why, because if you're not, they're going to run you and that's not powerful. You know, if, when you're not in touch with your own emotions, you'll just be reactive. It's not powerful. So reactive would mean you, you blame, you get defensive just in your mind's eye, picture a guy being any of those three things. Does that man feel powerful? And the answer is no, he doesn't feel powerful. So the ability to feel into the space, into myself, into her. Um, I, I put, I, it doesn't matter what bucket they're in. Those are absolutely qualities that you need for a powerful masculine core. Um, let me give you an additional layer to that. If you're a man that's shut down to your emotions, your woman will most likely get increasingly uh, aggravated and anxious and irritable over time because she can't feel you. And that is part of her feminine energy is she's gotta be able to feel you. When she can't over time, she'll get increasingly agitated, which means she's gonna complain more. She's going to uh, probably be a little meaner. She's gonna be not as open to you sexually uh, and just overall more critical of you. And, and again, in your mind's eye, imagine that man who's with a woman that's just like meh, you know, she's just on him. Does that man feel powerful? You know, because either he's having to be a domineering jerk and just be and sort of shut her down, or he's going to cave and try to please, uh, or he's going to shut down and just and just uh, take it. Again, none of those are powerful. So, you know, to be powerful in your relationship, you really have to have your woman emotionally fulfilled, which means you have to be able to meet her in that place. You need these capabilities. Um, I would rather be, and here's my, a distinction that, um, that's really core to my teaching. I would rather be the magician that knows how to handle my woman, even while she's emotionally chaotic, than be, I hate to say it, but kind of this, this red pill philosophy where it's like, back off, bitch, you know, like, or I'll just walk away. You, if you want to be like that, I'm walking away. I mean, there's a lot of that in, in red pill culture. There's a lot that's good in red pill culture, and we could have a whole conversation on that. But this particular piece of like, be the way I want you, or I'm out of here. Um, that's 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 not a man in his power. I'd rather be the magician that knew how to handle my woman, that knows how to meet her there, and still be a powerful man that has my own needs, my own boundaries, uh, my own truth. But I'm also the magician and in working with my woman. And this is where my work. Um, is different than, than some of the men's work out there. It, I think it's, I'm trying to, to focus more in the relational space. You know, it's not about just me getting solid and having purpose and, and I am man. 
That's good. That's the first step. Now, the second step is if you're in relationship, how do you go into that relational space and be that magician? And that's where I focus most of my work. Yeah, that's why you're calling your book The Masculine in Relationship. Exactly. It's very, it's very targeted to men in relationship and the kind of challenges that they meet. You know, um, I've heard David Data use this language and John Wineland as well. Um, and uh, I'm wondering uh, if I'm just curious what uh, what your response has been from some of the female community who hears you using words like my woman. Uh, and there's been pushback on that, especially with regards to this growing consciousness around gender uh, quality um, with, the, with the understanding of gender. Uh, and so, um, yeah, I'm just curious kind of how you navigate through that landscape now. Yeah. You know, I've been fortunate so far, Noah. Um, I expected to be flamed a lot more than I've gotten. I actually haven't been really flamed uh, much at all. Women are actually very excited about the book. They're either, either they say things like, wow, you get this dynamic so well, I feel very understood. Um, or they say, I want to get this to my man immediately. How do I get him to read it? Um, or they say, thank you, you've given me I knew I wanted these things in a man. I didn't know how to put words to it. And now I understand what it is that I want. So I've been, I've been fortunate in that regard. And I know that I work in a dangerous space as do you know, many of the other voices in this field. It's a dangerous space because people can, out of their own pain, they'll, they'll kind of twist your words to sort of validate their pain. Having said that, I think people, if you read my work, you know, the collective you, you can feel the heart in it. You can feel the support of, of the women in my life, uh, what I'm encouraging the men to do in support of the women in their life. So if, if you really read the work, you'll understand. Um, and so I think people have taken the time to listen to what I'm saying and realize that, okay, yes, in the wrong context, some of the, what he says could, could mean very bad things, but I, he, I'm seeing his context of heart, of the desire to connect uh, to uh, be a powerful man for your woman, to protect her, to take care of her, both emotionally and physically and financially. Um, I think people see that. And that, here's the thing, the same words and the same action with, con with one context can be very different than with another context or intention behind it. And um, that's a powerful thing that, it's a subtlety that not everybody understands. And so you have to understand, it's really what you do, but it's the intention behind what you do rather than sometimes what you're actually doing or saying. Yeah, it's so interesting. Uh, when I started reading your book, I was in relationship um, and I was nervous to show her the book or something like that, as if it was some, some secret power that I was trying to build up uh, and that I was going to get these secrets or, or whatever. And then she yeah. started a little bit of the book uh, one morning and she was so excited by it. I mean, she, she was really, she really resonated with what, what, what she was reading in the book. And, and that was, that uh, was really powerful for me. Um, and uh, I think I, I told you this earlier that I'm going through a recent breakup right now. Uh, and I've been reading your book throughout the relationship. And during the relationship, I felt like I was really trying the best I could to apply as many of the principles from your yeah. book possible, like providing leadership, structure, and security for her. Uh, but in the end, the relationship ended um, mostly because she just wasn't in the same place that I was. And, uh, and that, that's okay. Um, and I guess I have two questions. One is, like, do you believe that any relationship is salvageable by just applying these steps? 
or and the second I got or the, another way of phrasing it is like what are the signs to look out for that perhaps it's time to explore just letting go. Mm, okay, let's take the first question first. Uh, yes, absolutely, yes. You can you can salvage relationships with this work. Um, I say that because I've seen my clients do it. You know, most guys that come to me are in a are kind of they're not in a great state in their relationship and. Yeah, look, some are too far gone. Like these things usually go back 10, 15 years, you know, the hurts that men are unintentionally inflicting on their women. And so sometimes it's, it's beyond salvageable, but we get them ready for their next relationship. You know, they can, they can, they, they've done it the wrong way, which is the best way to learn. And they can take these skills into their new relationship fueled by the pain of past failure. That's, this is, that's my story. I am fueled by my own failure you know, a marriage that ended 12 years ago. I'm fueled by that. I want to be better. I want to do it a different way. And that's what I've spent the last 13 years um, I'm working on. I've actually seen it work in my own life, you know, and I, I said this to you when we talked, you know, I know your relationship ended, but it maybe it doesn't mean that it could be over forever. It could be that there's a time of growth for both people and one can come back together. And that's happened for me where uh, I had been with a woman and I wasn't ready and it was clear time apart. I grew, she grew and we came back together. <laughs> and uh, it was, it was this work that really was, you know, the impetus for or the, uh, the framework of what was growing inside of me. Yeah. It was, uh, it was incredibly uh, encouraging to hear, to hear you say that. Um, and um, yeah, I have so many uh, offshoot questions now because you're you're giving me hope that 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 relationships are salvageable, mm -hmm. uh, and, I, and I also just um, you know does that mean that everything about the relationship is based on these principles, or are there? I mean, there's there's got to be other factors too that play into why people stay together or break up. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you got basic compatibility. It's like, do we like the same things? Are we do we, are we you know reasonably close in attractiveness? And there's all these other things. Um, this is a very this is a very specific dynamic that I'm working on, which is the polarity of it. You know, where she can relax into her feminine energy and you can be in your masculine, if that's what you choose. I mean, people could choose to be in the opposite. So. I'm just speaking about this set of choices. But when the polarity's off, you could be both like beautiful people and it's not enough. You could be 100% matched in terms of hobbies, interests, and values, and it's not enough. So it's this piece that often suffers because people, men don't understand this dynamic. And that's what I've tried to offer to the world is my take on this dynamic. Um, so it's not the only thing. Uh, nor will it save you. Like you could have great polarity, but maybe be off in terms of what you like to do recreationally or values um, or things like that. You know, maybe somebody's just too obsessed with their work and, and it's not, it doesn't make space for the relationship. So this is the specific piece that's often neglected that I'm trying to help men with. And yeah, I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about like the dance of dynamism. Like, like when, cause for me, in my experience, I, I, Sometimes when one person is trying too hard to work on it and really, really is committed to working on it and is showing interest, um, and but maybe their heart is too available. I don't even know if that's possible, but um, sometimes that might be pushing the other person away. Like it's like one person's chasing the other person. Yeah. How yeah. Do, is that, that, what does that dance look like? Well, the, the extreme of what you described is neediness, where one person's like, okay, here I am, let's connect. 
you know, and the other person's like, whoa. And, you know, often that can go to attachment style. I'm sure you've, you've studied the attachment style. I think kind of everybody's getting it these days. It seems to be in the mainstream. So there is a bit of matching in terms of, like you said, the word availability. And I think men, let's just talk about neediness because this is the extreme form of what you're talking about. You know, neediness is when I need you to do something so that I will feel okay. And that usually means pay attention to me or validate me and uh, be in connection with me, be in my presence. It's not wrong to want those things. It's not wrong to want to spend time with your partner. But when, and this goes back to our sort of same scenario, but different motivation behind it really comes into play because she's going to feel this. If you want to spend time with her, but you need to spend time with her in order to feel okay, because if she doesn't, then you're like getting your abandonment wound triggered. She's going to feel that needing, which of course is, is the root of the word neediness, right? So it's the intention behind it. So it's okay to want to spend time with your partner, but if she can feel that you need her to in order for you to feel okay, it's going to feel like shit to her. She's not going to like it. It's going to drive her away. The okay. verse is like, maybe I'd, I'd love to spend some time with you. I really enjoy it. And uh, when are you available? You know, you could just, even though I'm just play acting, you can sort of feel like there's not a, a grasping in, in how I say that um, or in the energy that I'm, that I'm manifesting while I say it. So that's the key. You can't, you can want somebody to do something. It's okay to want that. It's just when you need them for you to be okay, then it starts to drive people away. So the neediness is like a lack of grounding in ourself. It's, it's, that is one component of it. I think you could dial, dial that in a little bit more. It's, it's, it's like a hyper attachment to outcome, mm -hmm. you know, versus stating what you want, what you want or, or, or what do you want? or need, you could even say what you need, but you can't be attached to whether she's a yes or a no to that. That's where it starts to get a little weird. Um, Cause then it feels like an obligation, you know, if like, if this is around sex or if it's around spending time together, she feels your neediness, then her yes is, is gonna feel like it's an obligation now. And then that takes all the joy out of it for, for the other person. Um, so you've got to really let go of that attachment to outcome. Um just a few more questions, because it's just, it's so fascinating uh, chatting with you about this. Um, you actually speak about a, a little bit about this in the book, but I would love for you to, to expound uh, upon it a little bit now. Um, it, like, it seems that in a lot of this work, we talk about leadership and focus needs to come from the male partner uh, and uh, whoever is uh, stepping into that masculine role. Right? Can you speak a little bit to what the role of the feminine is in that dynamic partnership? Like, is it is their responsibility entirely on the male or the person who's assuming the masculine role? Yeah. What responsibility yeah. is there from the feminine to yeah. uh, keep that partnership dynamic? Sure. I'm, I'm gonna comment on two things. One is your actual question. The other is, is what I say about the, the man's responsibility or the masculine responsibility. Um, I What I say is over and over, uh, you may or may not be the problem, but you are the solution. And, and you probably remember reading that. And for me, that's such a powerful statement um, because we get caught into, it's like the blame game. Like, well, I, I only did that because you did this and I'm, I'm shut down because you were like, when you do that, men, men tend to do that a lot. And we sort of, then we abdicate. It's like, you sort of then go into shutdown mode and wait for her to make the first move. And I say, no, 
not not because there's like a manifest destiny that the man is supposed to it's just my audience is men and i'm empowering men to be powerful and a powerful man takes action he doesn't sit around and wait for other people to clean up the mess other people to move first he takes action as long as you cut off in your mind like i'm gonna wait for her to fix this cut that off then you're like well I don't have that option now, so I better do this. Whereas if it's available, we take the path of least resistance. So I'm trying to cut off the path of least resistance when I, when I'm, I mean, when you read the book, I am putting all the weight on the men. And unfortunately, some, some people misinterpret that of, of, of like falling into what uh, Tomasi would call the feminine imperative and all that. And uh, they try to really put some spin on it. Um, no, it's actually because I'm trying to get you men to stop taking the path of least resistance. Now, she on her own side needs to take some initiative too, but you're not worried about that. That's for her to worry about. For you is to learn how to be a powerful, proactive man in relationships. So I'm trying to cut off that path of least resistance. Yeah. Um, okay, so to answer your question of what's the feminine role, um, I want to acknowledge that what I'm going to share comes from David and John. I think they, they put it really well. So I want to give credit where credit is due. Um, this is the feminine imperative, not the female's imperative. So it's just in the feminine energy. It's, they're often the steward of the connection between the two of you, even though I'm actually pushing men to also feel like a steward to that. They're more naturally a student. They can feel when the connection is kink. They can feel when we're not feeling our feelings and there's not that flow between us and, and when there's a kink in the connection. And that's painful for them. And, and their responsibility, one of them, is to show that pain, not to suck it up or ignore it, but to, be, to really show the pain. Now, you hope they do that uh, in a healthy way. Unfortunately, often it can come out toxically in terms of complaint, uh, irritability, cutting the man off from sexuality um, and other types of just kind of overt criticism or shaming. Like those are some toxic ways that pain can come out. And you hope that they can find more constructive ways to do it, but you can't rely on it, which is why I teach men to really be able to understand that behavior and how to deal with that toxic behavior. So that's really one of the feminine imperatives is to really be the, the, the vanguard, the steward of the connection between the two of us. And then you hope that the man has the skills to recognize that behavior and, uh, and really be able to tend to that connection, whatever, whatever that may take. So I think, I think that's one of the, the feminine imperatives. Um, you can go into like, what are the other qualities of feminine energy? But I think this is one of the core responsibilities of the, of the feminine pole in the relationship. Yeah, that's beautiful. Just like, um, the responsibility of feeling and expressing uh, in that moment what's happening uh, so that the masculine who might be shutting down is aware and it almost like helping him notice it in that moment. Yeah, and, and not shut down. To number one, do your embodiment exercises so your nervous system is settled. And number two, you know, be brave enough to stay open. And, you know, look, it's the hardest thing in the world to do. We all suffer from it. I mean, me too. Um, but that's the goal, Absolutely. to continue to master that impulse to shut down, to stay closed, to deny her reality. Those are the things that make her feel emotionally unsafe and that will really shut her down. So, you know, for men who are in relationship with a woman who's crabby, who doesn't want to have sex with him, who criticizes him, who shames him. Yes, you can say, oh, she's just kind of, being a, you know, kind of a mean wench. You could say that. And maybe she is. I don't know. 
But if you look one step upstream, you might look at your own behavior because her behavior is often a reaction to our way of being. See, that's the thing about the feminine. It's receptive and responsive, whereas the masculine energy is more directive. So we're directive in terms of our way of being. She's responsive to our way of being. And her behavior might be a response to our way of being, the ways that we're being unconscious or inconsiderate. We're not caring for her emotional state or at least validating. That's, that's what I encourage men to do. And uh, you have to assume that there was initial attraction at some point that that excitement and love and attraction was there. So yeah. the fact that it's been depolarized or she's responding in that way is not necessarily because of who she is or how she just naturally is, because, but potentially it's because it's a response to kind of what you're putting out into the world. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, she's still the same woman underneath who's joyful and wants to play like she did, wants to have sex as much as you as she used to. She's underneath there, but maybe weighed down by some, some other layers here. Uh, that, that's absolutely the case. And in that, Noah, there's a really powerful statement in there. I don't know if you caught it, but that makes you more powerful than you ever thought. Because now you're not, you can stop just kind of hoping that she'll change and waiting for her to be different. You just be different. Not that it's your fault. So it's, this is not about, oh, it's all your fault. You're the man, the women are always right. That's not what we're talking about here. That's where the red pill, I think, would go. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is, could you take a step to open things back up? Do you have it in your own power to fix this? Well, you actually do. Wouldn't you want to take that? Who cares whose fault it was? Who cares who's being immature? You as the man, I'm telling you, take that step. If you can solve this, which I think you can in many cases, just do that. That makes you powerful. And then you become the magician, you know? The, the guy next door doesn't do that. He's, he just shuts down to his wife and then she's constantly crabby at him. He's not powerful, but you, you become the magician and you have a great relationship. Your wife is devoted to you. You guys are having great sex. She adores you. That's the, that's the situation I'd rather be in. Yeah, I, I've always been amazed at like how quickly things can flip that like, it's like you think that you're in such a heated dynamic that we'll never get out of, yeah. like literally like right on the flip side of that is joy and lust and passion. It's just right over the edge of it. And it just needs one little moment of connection and hurt yeah. to feel your heart. It's totally true. I love that observation you made. It, it is, it's right there to be had. It can change quickly. If you're brave, if you're conscious, if, you're a, if you become a magician of how to work with her, it's all available for you. Yeah. Uh, this is amazing. I feel like we can talk forever. Uh, I'm just uh, so uh, appreciative that you uh, took the time to be here on this, uh, this podcast. Um, I just want to just name your book again. Uh, this is G.S. Youngblood's book, The Masculine in Relationship, A Blueprint for Inspiring the Trust, Lust, and Devotion of a Strong Woman. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to be here. Uh, it is an honor to meet you and to speak with you. Yeah, my pleasure, Noah. That was fun. Yeah, so I hope that you were inspired and invigorated by my conversation with G.S. Youngblood. As you know, each week we interview different experts in the field who are doing powerful work at the meeting point of wellness and creativity, trying to find that creative spark that we know and believe exists within us and is wanting to flow through us. Uh, and sometimes uh, life happens and prevents that energy from flowing through us. So 
Stay connected with us on our social media platforms, on our website. Uh, sign up for our newsletter. Make sure you're staying connected. And you can continue to listen to these podcasts. We post new episodes every Wednesday. Our goal is to remind everyone that we are all creatives, that we can all be more mindful, more present, that we can all be major. See you next week.